Hey everyone, welcome to 2017. I'm Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of scrambling to keep up with the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, a partner, or maybe a child with special needs? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we bring you stories from the field. We hear from professionals in the field of aging and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Being hospitalized for any reason is anxiety-producing, not just for the patient, but for family members and friends. There's the waiting, the wondering, the hoping, oftentimes praying that an operation won't be botched, that your loved one won't get an infection, that there won't be any complications. And that's just the beginning. When a patient leaves those four walls of the hospital, the heavy lifting begins by paid and unpaid family caregivers. In the United States, there are an estimated 43.5 million unpaid family caregivers. One in five provides care for a high-need older adult with multiple chronic conditions that often require caregivers to perform medical tasks they're not trained for. And yet, the healthcare system relies on this hidden workforce to prevent hospital readmissions. Here to explore all this and more is today's guest, Jasmine Perlman. Jasmine is the founder of Caregiving and You, a weekly television series totally dedicated to the concerns of family caregivers. The series was created as part of a multimedia campaign in conjunction with Jasmine's community-based organization, also called Caregiving and You, which provides a host of resources, information, and advocacy for family caregivers. Jasmine Perlman joins us from New York City. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you. I know that you grew up in New York. Tell us about uh, your early life, your siblings, and give us give us a little bit of background here on you. So I, I, I did grow up in New York City in the Bronx, and um, I take care of my mother. I don't have any other siblings. I have step-siblings. Mm-hmm. So growing up, uh, I had a good childhood. Um, my mother was always around to take care of me. And um, she put a lot of uh, energy into me, and uh, we've always had a very wonderful relationship. She always made sure that I had uh, extracurricular activities. Um, I was a teenage entrepreneur, oh, wow. and so she always uh, <laughs> helped with my business. And so we have a wonderful relationship. And so growing up in New York City was, was wonderful. Uh, you get to go to the theater and do a lot of activities and things like that. So it was great. And your life changed dramatically in 2004. Tell us about your mom's diagnosis. Right. In 2004, my mother was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I, I was really taken aback by that. But I was in my last year at community college at that point. I was 21 years old. So I was truly unprepared for that. Uh, Most people become family caregivers when they're, you know, in their 50s and 60s and 70s, but uh, it's it's a whole different ballgame when you become a caregiver at at a younger age. So it did impact different areas of my life, emotional and financial and physical responsibilities. 
were kind of difficult at that point because you're you're dealing with someone who has a major catastrophic diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But I I think I handled it pretty well. I uh, escorted my mother to her appointments. That was very important. Um, I had to talk to her doctors on her behalf. Uh, I had to make sure that she had the right diet because, of course, when you're facing an illness, you can't expect to get well, you know, eating the things you used to eat and, you know, not exercising enough and things like that. So I had to really create a plan with her of how to get her health back to where it used to be. Mm -hmm. But more so than that, it's really about a person's state of mind. It's really important that when a, when a person is ill, you have to give them something to fight for, and you have to um, really pep them up and make sure that they have a, a good morale so mm-hmm. that they'll feel like getting through the illness. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. Mm-hmm. Let's back up for a minute. When your mother was diagnosed, you were present for the diagnosis, I take it. Uh, she didn't go to that on her own, right, that appointment? Uh, no, she did go in on her own. Okay. We weren't expecting it. Okay, yeah, it was- so I was going to ask, what was your immediate reaction? How did you respond? Did you have any idea how it would affect you? Um, I did not know how it was going to affect me. My only concern was, is she going to live? Uh-huh. That was my only concern. Mm-hmm. So when I first heard the news, I, you know, was going to classes during the day, and, and at that point, she, before the the diagnosis, she would go to different medical appointments by herself. And so when I first heard the news, it was like I couldn't believe it. And she um, was very afraid. Mm-hmm. She was very afraid uh, because, um, you know, our family is small. Yeah. And um, she didn't want to, you know, die and leave me behind. But uh, my only concern was that she get well. That's the only thing I cared about. Uh huh. And how old was she at the time? She must have been 55 at the uh-huh. time. Uh huh. That's pretty young to get that yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. Now, were any of your was anyone else your age going through anything like this? Did you and did you talk about it with your friends? Uh, yes, I did actually. As a matter of fact, um, at that time, I had friends who had parents who had different illnesses and stuff like that. And what they would do is, and I could never ask, you know, another college student to help me with my caregiving responsibilities, but without being asked, my friends, they knew of her diagnosis, and that they would actually come and see her while I would be in class. Oh, wow. They would come and see her or... They would see her out and about doing something and, you know, they would uh, come and, you know, talk to her and things like that. And so in various ways, they would do things to step in and help. And so that, that was very touching for me. That was a, a memory that I had when, um, when she was going through treatment. Mm-hmm. And probably stress-reducing for you. It was, it was. But you just have to pull through it. Yeah. And, and you have to, you know, rely on faith. Mm-hmm. And just know that, you know, getting hysterical and doing a lot of crying and stuff like that, it really doesn't help anything. You have to, to stay calm in the worst of times, and you have to 
have concern for tomorrow, but you can't worry and do the hysterics. That's what I believe. Right. Now, um, I know that in 2005, your mom's cancer went into remission, but her health declined. And you were quoted in this article I read as saying she was just worn out. Um, And you stepped up again, big time, even when folks urged you to lead a more independent life. How did that strike you? And how did you respond when, when folks said stuff like that? thought it was hurtful uh, that if they were in the same position, they would just, you know, focus on themselves. Because I don't think you can really get away from caregiving mm. because you can get married and have a spouse who gets sick. You mm-hmm. can have a child who is born with autism or something else. And so caregiving comes up in a person's life in all kinds of ways, whether it's a friend of ours, a family member, through work, you know, it comes up, or you can become sick yourself. And so I've seen all of those uh, kinds of situations, uh, those those same people who told me to just focus on my own life. You know, I, I think that they meant well mm-hmm. because you can really get beat up in the, the caregiving process and trying to navigate health care and those kinds of things. But I think that making sure that your family member is okay is is very important. I have peers who did, quote-unquote, focus on their own lives, Mm -hmm. and their mother passed away, and I went to their mother's funeral. Mm -hmm. So there have been times over the years that if I hadn't been with my mother at the time, you know, physically on site, she would have passed away. Just this past week, we have a gas stove. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and the whole place smelled like gas. And my mother didn't smell it. And she was sitting on her bed on her laptop. And so I ran through opening windows and saying, oh my God, there's gas in here. (gasps) And so that's a situation in which if I had come home in the evening time or something like that or any other time, or if I had been away on work, or something like that, she would have passed away. Yeah. And so with caregiving, it is a a very selfless thing, and and you do make that other person a priority, and that's very important. Mm -hmm. And where did you find support? Were there specific services that you leaned on at all? Actually, when I first became a caregiver, I didn't know the word caregiver. Uh I I only knew the word caregiving several years ago, uh-huh. if that sounds strange. No, not at all. I had the same feeling when I was caring for my mom. I had never even heard that word before. Exactly. I hadn't heard the word either. It's a very academic term. Right. It's a very academic term, and a lot of people don't like the word caregiving. They actually hate it, and it makes them feel like they're being labeled as bad or in bad circumstances. Right. And so the key to, to being a, a good caregiver is in your mind. It's your attitude. And one of the things that I love about my mother is she's able to take the worst of circumstances and make it hysterically funny. Good for her. I mean, anything. She can make it really funny. And so, you know, situations that you could view as bad, you'll walk away from it like, oh, that was hilarious. So what? (laughs) Uh Wow. And so it starts with your morale Mm -hmm. And, you know, just wanting to do a good job for that other person. Mm -hmm. And so as far as me finding resources, I didn't really connect myself 
as a caregiver. I didn't know that word. And so, Mm -hmm. of course, I wasn't reading the books. And there was not enough media for caregivers as there is Mm -hmm. starting to emerge now. But as far as, like, help, I went a few times to a caregiver support group. You did, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, but the director of the support group here at a, a New York hospital, you know, outside of the group, she didn't want to speak to us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so her job was more than just the support group. She was supposed to help people, uh, you know, family caregivers orchestrate things and all kinds of stuff. I didn't see any of that happen. Oh, wow. And how did you and choose that particular support group? I started looking on the Internet mm-hmm. for support groups. I wasn't really surrounded by by people who valued caregiving. I'll uh-huh. put it like that. Right. So I thought it would be great. Why don't I try to meet other people who share the same values. Uh-huh. And the things that I read on the websites of the uh, caregiving organizations didn't really match, you know, oh, what I was seeing in person. I see. Hmm, interesting. So, and you somehow found time to earn a master's degree in public administration, which is <laughs> of course. pretty incredible. Of course. Oh, thank you. From the time that my mother uh, got diagnosed with cancer, I didn't let that, you know, affect me not getting an education. Mm-hmm. So I, I got an associate's degree and a bachelor's in mass, mass communications, mm-hmm. and then I went straight into the master's program and got an NPA in nonprofit management. Oh, wow. Good for you. And how old are you now, may I ask? Oh, I'm 33 now. 33. So, so I'm going to fast forward to 2014, and I know that your mom had had five procedures, including a a partial amputation for a chronic condition. Tell us about some of the nursing tasks that you have performed for your mom. Well, that was very interesting. Mm. I am very afraid of things like wounds and blood and stitches Mm -hmm. and anything that oozes. So... (laughs) That was a lot to get used to, yeah. but I knew that the alternative would would be her, like, staying in a rehab or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't let that happen, of course. Because? So I had sometimes in those kinds of facilities, your loved one doesn't get treated the way that you would treat them. I've spent a lot of time in nursing homes, mm-hmm. and so I just wanted her to come home after the surgeries. And so can you imagine spending several, and that's how death comes to a lot of people. The more you're institutionalized, the more it breaks you down. Mm. What are you fighting for? And so I've spent a lot of time in uh, nursing homes and rehabs, and you basically just lay on a bed yeah. and wait for the next day to come. Mm-hmm. And so... I just decided that I was going to teach myself how to take care of her. So I taught myself how to dress her wounds and things. And so I would just, I didn't even see any videos. I really didn't read up on it. And no one (laughs) trained you for that. No one from the hospital sat down and said, look, if you're going to do this, this is how to do it. No, they didn't say, Jasmine, come here and let me show you. No. Uh But before she left the hospital... I would see them wrapping her foot. I see. And mm-hmm. um, she would ask them for 
like additional gauze because we didn't know anything about first aid supplies. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they sold that kind of thing at the pharmacy. I didn't Mm -hmm. know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they told her no, (laughs) but they Uh did give her some cream. Mm -hmm. So I would just go to the pharmacy by myself and, you know, just look at what they had in the first aid aisle. Mm -hmm. And I would just buy a bunch of things and come home and... For instance, he had um, gangrene on her foot. Her toes were, like, black, Hmm. and you could just smell it. It was like a rotting body in the room, Hmm. just from her foot. Hmm. And so I thought up different things to put on it because the surgeon said, we have to see what tissues are going to live and which tissues are going to die. And so they had to put off doing the amputation after the bypass. So I couldn't just let her foot sit like yeah, that. Right. So um, I would just soak it every day. I would put different ointments and treatments on it. And her foot looks amazing. People are amazed at the pictures of the before and after of huh. her foot. So huh. The point is, I had to teach myself. Uh-huh. And when you have that self-starter determination that you're going to succeed at whatever you're doing, you will succeed. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. You also injected your mother with blood thinners in her stomach. What was that like? Oh, my God. I hate shots. I hate that kind of stuff. (laughs) You were very brave. It must have been terrifying. First of all, somebody that you just love so much, and then you've got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. See, the thing about the blood thinners was this. We live far from where the office was where she would have to go to get them to inject it for her. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was either me inject her at home mm-hmm. or have her spend hours traveling to some place mm-hmm. where they would inject her. So it, uh, to save time and effort and whatever other problems would be incurred along the way, I thought I would just inject her with the uh, blood thinners myself. So it, it takes bravery. And a part of my personality is where I teach myself to do things that I don't know how to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so you have to have that as well. Uh-huh. Did you use an orange or something? My mom used to give me injections for hay fever, and she learned oh. on an orange. I don't know. Did you use something like that, or did you just... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. So this is what happened. She was in the hospital when they were telling me that she needed these injections. Okay. And so this is one time that the nurse did say... This is how you do it. So she did show me how to inject it. So my mother didn't like it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they gave you the needles and the serum, the hospital? Yes, they ordered it from the downstairs pharmacy for us. Hmm. Now, did anything go wrong that could have been prevented? For instance, did you ever give her the wrong medication or were any mistakes made? Because you were doing a lot. Um, No, I... I look at medications two and three times before I give it to her. Sometimes she forgets if she has taken a medication already. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, like, personally, I take vitamins. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I use the pill separator. Mm-hmm. It's, called, it's like a pill separator. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you do forget. So I, I use one of those, but, um, but I do not make medication errors. Because mm-hmm. when you take the wrong thing, that person can die, they can end up in the hospital, a whole lot of things can happen. How many meds is she on now? She's on 
about eight medications now. Mm-hmm. For a variety of different things or just for the oh, non-Hodgkin's? Yeah. Okay. Uh, not for the, uh, the weight. At the time that she had the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, she was on about 15 medications at that point. Oh, my goodness. And then she was going in for uh, the chemotherapy treatments. So her medications were decreased. So now she just... She doesn't take, like, blood thinners and things like that. She has things like arthritis and mm-hmm. peripheral artery disease mm-hmm. and um, hyperparathyroidism and mm-hmm. all kinds of illnesses. So mm-hmm. it's hard to manage. There's a lot of specialists and referrals that you need and stuff like that. But um, but I, I get along very well with her uh, medical team. Mm-hmm. And so they're so very supportive of me taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Because you're probably one of their best caregivers out there. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what a typical day is like for you. Well, my days vary depending on my my work schedule. Sometimes I have to travel out of town, go to different meetings mm-hmm. and things like that. So that varies. But I wake up between 4 and 5 a.m. I have to... Wow. I immediately go and check on her to see if she's okay. Or, like, if she's up in the middle of the night, I'll come and see about her. So I make sure that she has, like, breakfast and things like that, unless I have to get traveling very Mm -hmm. early Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I run all of her errands that she needs because she can't run her own errands. Is she mobile? Somewhat, yes. Mm -hmm. She's not able to ambulate independently outside. Mm-hmm. When she had the the uh, series of surgery, she ended up in a wheelchair for a while, mm-hmm. but she was able to start walking again. Okay. So medication management is part of my day. She uh, assists me with my work. So oh, we work on different proposals and uh-huh. filmings and stuff together. So, oh, that's so nice. we're together a lot. So yeah, so medication, errands, uh, if she need, needs me to like organize her clothes or help her figure out something to wear, things like that. Um, I take her shopping. She likes to shop a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, any, any caregiving task that she needs, it can vary by the day. Uh-huh. She has really good days and really bad days, so it, yeah. it varies. Uh-huh. Does she cook at all? She, she does to? sometimes, oh, yeah. Okay. Sometimes. Okay. And you're the main breadwinner in your, your family now at this point. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, I take care of her, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask, what sacrifices have you made, Jasmine, financially and emotionally, physically? This is a big issue with caregivers. Um, I think I've, I've sacrificed a bit in, in all of those categories at times. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my mental health, it's very good. My reward at the end of the day is her just being alive and being with me. That's That's all I really care about. Financially... There have been times, she comes first, and so if I have to miss a meeting or put something off, there have been times where, you know, years ago, I've had to take off from work early and or the whole day and stuff like that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking her to appointments is really important. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that there have been, you know, financial sacrifices but you know what? You know what's funny? I think as caregivers, I just don't believe in looking at what you've sacrificed. 
maybe I'm different in that way mm. because when you, okay, this is what happens. When you start looking at what you have lost and what you've sacrificed, you start getting angry. Mm-hmm. And you start getting resentful. And so anger and resentment is very common among caregivers. They feel like they've given up so much for this person. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you bad memories, bad feelings. And sometimes if you're, like, overwhelmed, some caregivers can mistreat their patient. And so my mother and I, when we're together, we do a lot of laughing. And I think laughter is everything. Mm-hmm. And you can't always change your problems, but you can change your perspective on it. I was watching a show yesterday, and um, it's a show here in New York, filmed here in New York. It's called Second Opinion, and so it's a PBS show, Uh and um, it focuses more on, you know, different illnesses and stuff like that, and they have a panel of doctors. But the point about it is this. They had a family caregiver on there whose husband had passed away. Mm -hmm. And so when they spoke to her on the show, when she spoke as a panelist, she was extremely angry. And she said that she was basically sick of her husband. I forget what had happened to him, but she said that she had been sick of him and him watching so much television and those kinds of things. And um, he liked violent shows, apparently. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've heard a lot of caregivers discuss things that they don't like about the uh, person that they're caring for. Or another thing that happens a lot is you sometimes are faced with providing care for someone that you didn't have a good relationship with in the first place. That's really, really terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I I read a lot about folks who are forced to take care of parents who are really ungrateful. And I think that's a very difficult situation because there's so much guilt at play. There are a lot of folks who have to care for parents that just don't want help. Exactly. I mean, what do you do? Exactly. In caregiving, I think everyone needs to find their own answer. Some people will want to put that person in nursing care and focus on themselves. Some people will want to be the primary caregiver. So I feel that I'm lucky to have been a caregiver at a younger age rather than later in life. When you're younger, when you're in your you know, early 20s, you can pretty much rebound from anything. Yeah. And the problem is when a person, mostly women, when they become caregivers in their 50s and 60s and 70s, a lot of them leave their jobs or have to take part-time work in order to provide care for their loved one. And so AARP had done a study on what is the financial impact of mm-hmm. caregiving on, on women. Mm-hmm. And so they basically found that a lot of women lose out on a lot of earnings mm-hmm. while providing care because a lot of people's sons, they get off scot-free. A man is not going to leave his job to take care of his mom. They will hire you a home attendant, and that will be the end of that. Right. <laughs> and then when, when you're in your 50s and 60s, it's hard to find employment. And, and then if you're using your savings and things like that, then everything becomes really complex. Mm-hmm. And so if you spend the rest of your working years providing for someone, it has a major impact on you. Mm-hmm. But... Thankfully, I've been able to take care of my mother, especially at the most difficult times, 
in her uh, medical care. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the sky is the limit with her and I. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. How do you think you've changed since the early days of your caring for your mom? And what are you doing differently, if anything? Um, I think I've become more mature. I think that I've become a good leader of a family. And it has given me a lot of insight into just life. Most of my friends are in their 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I'm surrounded by people who have had some of the same experiences. And I, I find that that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. But mostly just becoming wiser and more in charge of things. And I wouldn't change that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your relationship with your mom has changed? Um. No, not really. We always had a good relationship. Uh-huh, it sounds like and it. And <laughs> I guess it made us closer. If that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which it always is. And how has this affected your social life? I know for me, I always tell people I'm in a relationship with my mom. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, my social life, you know, I do find time. When I do have time, I do go with my friends to the theater. That's what uh-huh. I like to do. I like mm-hmm. to go to Broadway and Carnegie Hall and Lincoln mm-hmm. Center. Those right. are the big places here in New York mm-hmm. for theater. Mm-hmm. And so when I have time, I do spend time with them. But between, you know, uh, working and taking care of her, I don't have like a whole lot of spare time. I hear you. Well, let's talk about caregiving and you. Tell yeah. us how that evolved and which came first, the organization or the TV series? The, the idea for, for caregiving in you came from my experience from uh, taking care of my grandmother, actually. Mm. Back in 2012, my father's mother passed away, mm. and then my mother's father passed away. So those two deaths, and then my mother's parents had been together for about 60-something years, maybe 61 years, mm-hmm. and I had gotten worried about her with his death. Because mm-hmm. when people are together for that many decades, they can pass away within days of each other. That's right. That sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I went down to Florida, and I went and got her from her house. Mm-hmm. And um, cause This is your grandmother was, now? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I brought her back here to New York, mm-hmm. and her health had declined because she was a really independent person. So with her health declining and uh, her not being able to manage her own affairs, really, I thought that I would step in. So uh, taking care of her was uh, not very easy. Did she move into and, your house, or your apartment? What, what? Yes. Yeah, she moved in with us. Okay. And um, so that was a major transition for her. Yeah, you, and you. you <laughs> exactly. When you're used to living in Florida where the sun is always shining Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're transplanted to the north Mm -hmm. where it's cold a lot and you're you know you don't know anybody really Mm -hmm. it it takes a toll on you. Did she put up a resistance when you told her you know you wanted to move her up to New York? No not at first not at first. Okay. Because I don't know if she thought that she was just going to stay for like a few days or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, my my other family just wanted her to be here. And so um, she didn't really like that. <laughs> and she liked doing things her way. So she just stayed with us for, for several months. Uh-huh. And um, what I wanted to come out of that process was just for her to go to the doctor. Let's figure out what her life plan would be, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we got those things accomplished, but 
she put up a lot of resistance while she was here. Hmm. So it was overwhelming taking care of two people. Yeah. Um, because, say. see, the issue is this. When you're taking care of one person who's very cooperative and everything <laughs> right. is fun and you stuff get spoiled. and you guys get along, <laughs> that, that's great. But when you have someone who's difficult and adversarial, then that makes more problems in the situation. Yeah. So that's, that's at the point that I started looking for caregiving resources and, you know, like another outlet. So that's actually how I got to start caregiving and you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started out doing the show first, and then our audience would get in touch with us, and we also go to nursing homes a lot. Okay. And so we were meeting a lot of people who needed food and clothing and referrals for different government programs and things like that. So we decided to expand our services. So we established our organization for, for caregivers. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do. It's really great that you started this TV show. How did you go about that? Oh, well, I went to school for mass communications mm-hmm. for, what was it, about four years. Mm-hmm. And so I knew people in the field. Okay. And so all through, all through college, I knew how to write screenplays and treatments and all of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. So I relied on a lot of that information. Mm-hmm. And I found people who had different skills, like how to use a camera and stuff like that. And so that's how we were able to put together the show. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is this. Anybody can pick up a camera. Right. But can you identify the needs of your audience? That's Mm -hmm. the most important thing. We film throughout the year in the field. And we also film in a television studio, too. Oh, I see. And so what I did was, I also became involved with various television organizations around New York City, mm-hmm. and you really have to get out there and, and network. Right. Yeah. And, how, and how was the show funded? Gonna... Oh, we have contracts. We have corporate sponsors. That's excellent. So that's how our show is done. That's great. And can you tell us about the format and give us a flavor of the show? It's basically a documentary style and talk show format style show. Mm -hmm. So we produce segments that feature family caregivers at their homes. Mm -hmm. We feature experts in the field of family caregiving. We have uh, sit-down discussions in the studio. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a docu-style and talk show style show. Uh Uh-huh. Can you give us an example of a guest, like a politician or anyone who kind of jumps out? uh, Okay. Well, like uh, in the article in Modern Healthcare, they had Carol Levine in there. Carol Levine would be an example. Uh, She's from the United Hospital Fund here in New York City. Mm -hmm. So she's an example of the kind of guests that we would have on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had pastors, family caregivers, people who have surgical supply stores, mm-hmm. all types of guests. Mm-hmm. And are you the host? Yes. And what sort of feedback have you gotten? Oh, a lot of feedback. The show really means a lot to people who work in the field, medical mm-hmm. professionals, right. people who have like medical supply stores, researchers, mm-hmm. universities. We've been contacted by people all around the country, and mostly family caregivers. They, they tell us, the show means so much to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your important work, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I know you also have a lot of instructional videos on your website. Um, yes. It's a real full-service organization. So what are your biggest challenges now? Um, I think the 
biggest challenge for any entrepreneur is making sure that your organization is growing in the right direction mm-hmm. and that you're expanding. Mm-hmm. I know that your faith plays a big role in your work. How does it strengthen you? And what do you say to fellow caregivers who feel their prayers have gone unanswered? Oh, wow. Um, I know that's heavy. On- Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I depend on God for everything. And I pray every day, but faith is dead without works. Mm-hmm. And so you have to work and pray every single day. Mm-hmm. If you're not making a plan, then, you know, God can't help you. Mm-hmm. And so my advice for other caregivers would be keep going, do whatever you can, educate yourself how, however you can about the process of caregiving. You know, you, there's a lot of things that they have to know, like, advanced care directives mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things. So caregiver education is very important. Keeping a good attitude, helping that person navigate their various problems, and just keeping your loved one's morale up. Those are the most important things in family caregiving. Mm-hmm. Carol, I think, the gal that you mentioned earlier, in that article made the point that, you know, we're really kind of um, missing an opportunity to help family caregivers and see them as part of the whole system. What sort of policy changes would you like to see in the realm of caregiving? Um, I think there needs to be more research on the topic of family caregiving. I think more state and federal programs need to be implemented to help family caregivers get paid for their time because a, a lot of caregivers are reporting financial burden. So research and uh, payments for caregivers and caregiver training. Caregiver training could not be more important. So those are the three things that I think are the most important things to, to help family caregivers at this point. And where can folks learn more about your organization? They can log on to our website at www.caregivingandyou.com. Jasmine Perlman, she's a daughter, she's a caregiver, and she's the founder of Caregiving and You, a weekly television series dedicated to you, caregivers, and it's also part of a multimedia campaign in conjunction with Jasmine's community-based organization, also called Caregiving and You. We'll have a link to Jasmine's wonderful organization on the agewise.com website, so be sure to check that out. Jasmine Perlman, thank you for being on the show, and thanks for all that you do to support America's millions of caregivers. Thank you so much. I really- really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Thank you so much. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, visit the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com and subscribe to the podcast. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, Jana Panaritis, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. If you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jana at A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.